Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. One of the things I'm learning in my service to the Lord, my walk with the Lord, is that I should never worry when the enemy attacks. In fact, if anything, I should wear it as a badge of honor because I know that I pose a threat to the enemy, to the kingdom of darkness, because I know that the work is being attacked because we're taking ground from the powers of darkness. When I worry is when the enemy leaves me alone. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Ezra. We may think that if we're in the will of God, everything will be smooth and we will face no opposition. Unfortunately, that isn't true. As Pastor J.D. points out today, the enemy attacks when we're making an impact on God's kingdom. When the enemy leaves us alone, we should worry. We should evaluate our focus on God's purposes. When we face attacks, give it to God and keep pushing forward. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Ezra, chapter 4, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. If they were weeping because it wasn't like the first temple, because they had seen the first temple, and it had been at least 70 years since the first temple, then that means that they would have to be at least, I guess, 80 years old, if my math is right, They would have been 10 years old, or maybe 20 years old, which would make them at least 90 years old, because they had to have seen the temple and remembered the temple. In all of its glory, that first temple that Solomon built, you remember how glorious that temple was. So they had to be really old. And I guess if you're 80 or 90, that would, and if you're, you listen, I, I love you. I, I, if you're 80, and I know actually there are a couple that praise the Lord, but these old men, I, I say that affectionately, were weeping, and the question becomes, why? Well, a couple of thoughts. One is that it didn't compare with the first temple, which they had seen with their own eyes. Granted, they were young at the time, but this was nothing like the glory of the first temple. But there's a second thought, which is more compelling to me. They were weeping because they were seeing now the foundation to the temple being rebuilt. And it was a reminder of their sin, the sin against God that led to the destruction of the first temple and their subsequent captivity. And that's why they were weeping. There was a genuine godly sorrow, because they were young at the time, and now they're seeing the temple rebuilt, and it was a reminder of what had happened the first time. G. Campbell Morgan said this, and this is the problem with this, whether it was that it didn't compare to the glory of the first temple, or that they were weeping over the the sin that caused the destruction of the first temple, or both, maybe it was both, the problem is, is that They were dwelling on the past, and it was diminishing, even marring the present. 
Now, listen to what G. Campbell Morgan says. The backward look, which discounts present activity, is always a peril. Regrets over the past, which paralyze work in the present, are always wrong. Moreover, all such regrets, as in this case, are in danger of blinding the eyes to the true value and significance of the present. Consider this. These are the old guys. They're, they're going, man, this isn't like the old days. And isn't it interesting that the young guys, the young people, they're just like, praise the Lord. This is a new thing that God is doing. And they weren't, they didn't have the past obscure the present and the new thing that God was going to do. Verse 1, chapter 4. Now when the adversaries of Judah, we're going to turn a very interesting corner here. The adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel. They came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do, and we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esharhadan, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Oh, really? <laughs> this is a textbook case of, if you can't beat them, join them. And I would submit to you that this is one of the most effective devices of the devil. By the way, I should probably let you know that from the beginning of Ezra chapter 4, verse 1, where we just started here, all the way through to the end of the book of Nehemiah, the work of rebuilding the temple is going to be riddled with conflict, and it's going to be opposed by the attacks of the enemy who will do everything and stop at nothing to stop this rebuilding and to destroy the work of God. And should we be surprised? Should we be surprised? One of the things I'm learning in my service to the Lord, my walk with the Lord, is that I should never worry when the enemy attacks. In fact, if anything, I should wear it as a badge of honor because I know that I pose a threat to the enemy, to the kingdom of darkness, because I know that the work is being attacked because we're taking ground from the powers of darkness. When I worry is when the enemy leaves me alone. You know, when things are really, you know you're in trouble when the enemy sends you a thank you card <laughs> and, a, and a bouquet of flowers to your wife. Keep up the good work. You pose absolutely no threat to my kingdom of darkness. When the enemy leaves you alone, that's when you should worry. When the enemy attacks, when there's opposition, it validates and authenticates the work that God has called you to. So get used to it. There's going to be all of this attack, all of this conflict, all of this opposition. And it's all because whenever we set our foot to serve the Lord in our commitment to the Lord, it will always, without exception, be opposed by the enemy. 
without except when we first started this project with this building I cannot even begin to tell you of the opposition that we were getting from all over the place at every turn there were people calling and complaining trying to shut it down we were having you know all of these you know problems there were accusations and and there was confusion there was conflict and they were trying to stop it and two words that change everything but God and by the way but God in verse 3 listen to this but Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers houses of Israel said to them you may do nothing with us <laughs> love it. You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God. Get away from us. Get out of here. But we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Good for you. Good for you. That's discernment, by the way. And oh, by the way, we're going to be talking about this. Galatians chapter 2, Lord willing, on Sunday, where the Apostle Paul discerns these false teachers that are coming in, and these Judaizers, and getting their tentacles into the churches in Galatia. And he confronts them head on, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, belly to belly, and he basically just deals with it. And I love that about the Apostle Paul, and I love that about these men. This is the right thing. This is the hard thing. But this should be indelibly etched on the heart and mind of every Christian who is serving in a position of leadership. And here's why. This is an example of unflinching fearlessness on the part of leadership. And it is an absolute must especially when faced with opposition. It takes a strong leader who's willing to take a strong stand without any regard for how liked he'll be, without any regard for all the criticism he will get. He doesn't care about being popular. He only cares about doing the right thing. Even when, and I'll add, especially when He's accused of being unloving. Where's the love? Come on, they want to help. They want to help build the house of the Lord. They serve your God too, they said. And they offer to your God too, they said. Come on, where's the love? Why can't we have joint services together? Why don't we all have a group hug? Where's the love? No, I'll tell you what. That's not love. That's not love. You, you want me? Unity at what price? This is, this is ecumenicism, by the way. This is that bringing together of all faiths. We all worship the same God. Come on, let's all get together. No, you will not join with us. You will not 
join with us. We will do this for the Lord as unto the Lord ourself. And I don't care what you say about me. And I don't care what you're going to post on social media about me either. This is the right thing. Well, he's, he's not a very loving man, pastor. You call yourself a Christian. How many times have you heard that? You know, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that, we could almost pay off. <laughs> no, not quite. Verse 4, Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors. These are lawyers. These are attorneys, if you can imagine against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Interesting, yeah? Don't you find it interesting that when their attempts of assimilation fail, this joining together, okay, that didn't work. So let's resort to accusing them, which we're going to see, Let's resort to discouraging them. Wouldn't you agree that this is exactly what Satan does with us? Is he not the accuser of the brethren, the author of confusion, the father of lies? Are we not told that the enemy roars like a lion seeking whom he may devour? He wants to destroy. He wants to kill. He wants to devour, and this is exactly what they're doing. This is right out of Satan's playbook. And one of the most powerful ways that Satan is able to be met with a measure of success is with discouragement. If you were to ask me what I thought was one of the most effective tools and weapons that the enemy has, it's discouragement. We're going to see it in spades with Nehemiah. Can't wait till we get to Nehemiah. We're going to see how they try to discourage them. Come on. You really think you're going to build that wall? I mean, come on. Little animals are going to walk on it and it's going to fall. Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? You're not going to be able to build this wall. And the people got discouraged. But Nehemiah, a strong leader, stood up to him. And again, that's where... The strong leader needs to be strong regardless. Verse 6 through 24, actually, I probably should, we're going to actually finish the chapter, but I probably need to preface it by letting you know that uh, it's a parenthetical passage and it's going to provide us with details. They're going to send a letter now and they're actually going to succeed in stopping the work, unfortunately. Uh, And it also provides us with some of the details of how the enemy attacks. So let's uh, begin in verse 6. In the reign of Ahasuerus, by the way, my pronunciation of the names are, I'm going to butcher them, so it is what it is. In the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Artaxerxes also, Bishlam, Mithradath, Tabel and the rest of their companions wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and the letter was written in Aramaic script and translated into the Aramaic language. Rehum, the commander, verse 8, and Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to king Artaxerxes in this fashion. 
from Rehum, the commander, Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of their companions, representatives of the Dinites, the Afarshathites, the Tarpalites, the people of Persia, and Erech, and Babylon, and Shushan, the Dehavites, the Elamites, and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Osnapper, must have been a snapper guy, took captive and settled in the cities of Samaria and the remainder beyond the river and so forth. This, verse 11, is a copy of a letter that they sent them. So listen to this. To King Artaxerxes from your servants, the men of the region beyond the river and so forth, let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem and are building the rebellious and evil city. Sounds like modern day Iran, right? And are finishing its walls and repairing the foundations. Let it now be known to the king that if this city is built and the walls completed, they will not pay tax, tribute, or custom. And the king's treasury will de- be de- diminished. Oh wow, that's good. Get Hit them right in the, in the bank account, right? Now verse 14, because we received support from the palace, it was not proper for us to see the king's dishonor. Therefore we have sent and informed the king <laughs> that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers and you will find in the book of the records and know that this city is a rebellious city harmful to kings and provinces and that they have incited sedition within the city in former times which for which cause this city was destroyed. Oh really? That's why the city was destroyed? Wow. We inform the king, verse 16, that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed, the result will be that you will have no dominion beyond the river. Oh, so we're going to hit the bank account. Now we're going to hit the power and the authority. They're good. You got to hand it to them, right? The king sent an answer, verse 17, to Rehum, the commander, to Shimshai, the scribe, to the rest of their companions who dwell in Samaria, and to the remainder beyond the river, peace, and so forth. The letter which you sent to us has been clearly read before me, and I gave the command, and a search has been made, and it was found that this city in former times has revolted against kings, and rebellion and sedition have been fostered in it. There have also been mighty kings over Jerusalem who have ruled over all the region beyond the river and tax, tribute, and custom were paid to them. Now, verse 21, give the command to make these men cease that the city may not be built until the command is given by me. Take heed now that you do not fail to do this. Why should damage increase to the herd of the kings. Now, when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rahum, Shimshai the scribe, and their companions, companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews, and by force of arms made them cease. Thus, verse 24, the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased. And it was discontinued 
until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. I will add in conclusion, unnecessarily, unnecessarily, this was a mistake. This was a mistake on their part. And the problem is, is that God had called them to do it. God had provided for them to do it. And God's gifts and callings are without repentance. They stopped the work. They didn't have to stop the work. I am personally of the belief that they acquiesced to the opposition against that which God had already ordained. And for two years, the work stopped needlessly because of it. They didn't have to. By the way, spoiler alert, it does get, (laughs) it does resume and it will be completed in spite of this. But I just want to end the Bible study by sharing one final thought that the Lord ministered to me in this. When God has called you to do something, you best be found faithful doing it, regardless of the opposition. When, op- when not if, opposition strikes, and opposition will strike. You cannot falter. You cannot fail. There has to be an unflinching fearlessness, a sanctified resolve to keep your hands to the plow, and you keep pressing on, and you keep trusting God. You don't give a care for the opposition that has come against you. You simply say, God, there's opposition. Take care of it. And He will. He will. But instead, they falter and faint in the face of the opposition. And isn't it interesting, for two years, the work stops. I wonder what work has been stopped unnecessarily in the face of opposition. What work that God has called us to that should have continued but didn't because of the opposition against us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, the scriptures are replete with promise after promise that the Lord will see you through. When God has called you to something, he will see you through that something he has called you to. Never give this ear to the opposition. Never let the opposition stop you from doing what God has called you to do. The book of Ezra is a shining example of how God always keeps his promises. Seventy years earlier, when the Israelites went into captivity and exile, God promised that they would return and rebuild his temple. In the book of Ezra, we watch that promise fulfilled. What has God promised you? You can believe that he'll fulfill it in his perfect time. We're so glad you tuned in today. Pastor J.D. has a lot more to share with us from this Old Testament book. But you can listen to more messages right now by visiting InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Just click on Listen. 
And here's Pastor J.D. with an invitation to share with you. Yes, I'd like to invite our In Spirit and Truth listeners to join us for our weekend editions in which I do a Bible prophecy update. We look at current events happening around the world and how they relate to specific prophecies in the Bible. We broadcast these updates each Friday and Saturday, or you can find previous updates on our YouTube channel, and you can find the link at In Spirit and Truth Radio. Thanks, Pastor J.D. We'd love to be a part of your day always, so we've made it easy to connect with us. You can download our mobile app for Apple or Android, find us on Facebook and YouTube, and even subscribe to our podcast by searching for In Spirit and Truth in the iTunes Store. Find out more by visiting our website, InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. Pastor J.D. will continue teaching through the book of Ezra again with you next time. So join us right here on In Spirit and Truth.